Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. The book of Romans is designed with all the elements of a great narrative. In episode one, we talked about the tension of the plot. In this episode, we look at the heroes and the villains of the story. Paul and his friends are on one side and the Jewish leaders on another. The Jewish leaders are making accusations against Paul, which he addresses head on. In the middle of the two sides are the Gentile believers in Rome, yearning to discern the truth. So if Paul is writing this political pamphlet to address this issue, what, what do you think the like, you know, title of his pamphlet would be? He's handing this out. What's the, what's the tag? What's the hook line? Grace alone, faith alone. I think would be a reasonable pamphlet. But, you know, it's the the actual theme, I would say, and this is fairly well agreed upon, the actual theme of his letter is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, which, again, good news about Christ is not just that you can be born. <laughs> the good news about Christ is what Jesus did for us holistically, everything about it not just the beginning part of becoming a christian and that's another that's another reason i think this gets misunderstood because we tend to think gospel is get born into the family but gospel good news is get born in the family and then be delivered from the power of sin so that it can't destroy our life we now have the ability to walk in a new way and so that's why he goes on to say i'm not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power to salvation for everyone who believes. Now, again, problematic, right? The word salvation, we tend to think of just as being saved from the penalty of sin, of being separated from God, eternal damnation. But in the Scripture, salvation means something's being delivered from something. And you have to look at the context to see what's being delivered from what. And, in, and what Paul is going to do is tell us there's three different deliverances that we need. We need to be delivered from death. We're born in death, and we need to be born into life. That's new birth. These people already have that, so he doesn't really address that in this particular letter. But that's where this started. And then every day we need to be delivered from our own flesh and the world and Satan and lies that will lead us into destruction. And that's a matter of us choosing to believe that God's way is better than our way, which is what he's talking about here, mainly. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, because you start with faith, that's how you receive the gift, to faith. To faith is walking every day. And then it says, for as it is written, and then he quotes an Old Testament, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. So by living by faith, you're actually taken from a life of unrighteousness to a life of righteousness. And again, now we have another word that's problematic because we don't use the word righteousness in everyday life other than self-righteousness. And what righteousness mean here, it's a, it's a pretty sophisticated Greek concept that I would say would be better 
translated as harmony and peace of life or fulfillment, human fulfillment, something like that. That's what they mean by this. To, to have an alignment, righteous, righteous like uh, justification or righteousness is when something's aligned with a standard. Well, when you're aligned with what's true, your life works out. And when you're aligned with what's not true, it doesn't work out. And so that's, that's, that's how you get righteousness revealed is by walking by faith. And the reason he starts off with this assertion to people who are already believers is because of the accusation that he's, that he's, uh, that he's fighting. We've already talked about what it's about, but why don't we talk about the accusation? Yeah, what's the accusation? What is the accusation? And we, we can come back. To, he kind of summarizes his, his, uh, his uh, argument right up here in front. But it's not going to make much sense to do that until we understand the accusation. Okay. So here's the accusation. So we can see it maybe starting in chapter 3. What advantage, then, has the Jew? Or what's the profit of circumcision? You can, you can infer from that that part of this dispute is circumcised versus uncircumcised. And the Jews essentially are arguing, we're going to find out, they're arguing that if God gives justification in his sight just by faith, then all the stuff that he did with the Jews is thrown out the window. The Jew, Israel's thrown out. The Jews are thrown out. The law is thrown out. The Bible's thrown out. Everything's thrown out. And they, they go through and argue that kind of piece by piece. And so what Paul's going to do is go through this letter as, as a good defense attorney would. And he's going to take their accusations one by one and counter them. And generally what you can see is you can see the accusation when he says something like, why not say? And when he says, why not say, you know, or, or, or why, or then he's giving you, typically giving you an ac accusation. He says then, well, what advantage does a Jew have or what profit is circumcision? Much in every way. Am I saying being Jewish is a bad thing? Not at all. In fact, we can see in Acts that Paul kept doing all the Jewish things right up to the end. Even though he was a minister to the Gentiles, he never stopped going to the temple and, and doing all the Jewish stuff. Okay, he, kept, he, he asserts right at the end of Acts, he asserts to the um, elders in Rome that he says, I have done nothing against the customs of our fathers. So I kept all the laws. So he says, uh, much in every way, it's great to be Jewish, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Now, I, you know, I grew up with the scriptures, so it's a great benefit to have grown up with the scriptures. For what if some did not believe? Was, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? If just because you don't believe God's faithful doesn't mean he isn't. Mm -hmm. God's always faithful. Certainly not, indeed. Let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, now he goes to the Bible, that you may be justified in your words and may be overcome when you're judged. And then he goes back to his own. But if our, if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say then? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For how then will God judge the world? So the accusation is this. 
if 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 God is going to come in and just give you this righteousness in his sight just because you believe, well, then all of your unrighteousness made God look good. And so, therefore, we ought to just be as unrighteous as possible because the more unrighteousness we do, the more God's grace abounds. And so it's benefiting God. So Paul is arguing exactly opposite to everything the Bible says, which says walk in obedience. Paul is saying walk in total disobedience, and that's how you benefit God. That's the accusation. That's the accusation. You can see the allure of that, right? Yeah, the idea that, like, well, if nothing that we do is really, you know, important towards this end, and God coming in and saving us is valuable, then, yeah, doesn't it make sense for us to be as terrible as we can possibly be? Because then when God does save us, the more radical and incredible he might he, he looks. Yeah, so Paul's arguing it's a win-win. You go live in the cesspool, have a great time, because, of course, sin, and this, the inference here is here, sin is preferable. Right? right? So you sin, you have all the craziness, and God is benefited too. That's what Paul is arguing. And so Paul is answering here, and he says, certainly not. For then how would God judge the world? He's saying, well, God can't. If that was true, God can't even be God because he can't. He, God is judge, and he can't judge the world. How could that? That's not even, that doesn't make any sense. That accusation doesn't make any sense. And then he says, Paul's still answering, for if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also judged as a sinner? And why not say, now so here's another accusation coming, let us do evil that good may come as we are slanderously reported. (laughs) And as some affirm we say, slander. So what I can imagine, and now I'm speculating, Priscilla and Aquila are his companions. Have we already talked about how he came to know Priscilla and Aquila? No. Oh, okay. Well, we'll let's do that in a second. So, so Priscilla and Aquila are his companions. They've learned his whole thing. They're the ones that straighten Apollos out. So they really got this down. They go to Rome, perhaps founded the Roman church, and they're teaching them this, this, this gospel of grace, that God's acceptance is wholly unconditional. You don't have to do anything but to be delivered from the wrath of sin because all sins were nailed to the cross, past, present, future. It's just given. But now you have the opportunity to be delivered from counterproductive behavior, and you have the power to live above it. Use that power. You don't have to, but there's huge consequences to doing it, two separate things. Well, well, if you do that, if you believe that, rules have no power. Human rules have no power. They're just... You could make them. They're in, they could be instruments, like you could make a rule for yourself. But it's not going to determine whether you're. It's not going to determine your standing before God. That's that's going to be a matter of faith and the heart. So it's all faith, and there's no human rules, no control mechanisms here. Even even uh, self illusion control, like well, I'm better than Joey because I do this or that. No 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 basis of comparison. It's just us naked before God, which is uncomfortable to us. But it's freedom. You know, it's like free, it frees you up to be everything God allowed you to be or designed you to be. So slander. We are slanderously reported, and some is firm that we say. And here's his little summary answer. Their condemnation is just. <laughs> <laughs> 
So clearly he does not agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, so let, let's just talk about Priscilla and Aquila for a second. And then we skipped over, this was chapter three, we skipped over chapter two. He introduces the bad guys in chapter two. So he first like, you, we can, it's just kind of like a novel here. You, the good guys actually are the Roman believers. Faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And it's pretty diplomatic here. I mean, it, it, and the tone here is dramatically different than Galatians, which is talking about the same basic fight. And he opens Galatians with, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> you know, don't, don't you remember anything I taught you? Well, that's because they were his children. And you don't talk to other people's kids like you talk to your own, right? Right. That's, that's for Hopefully sure. not. Yeah. <laughs> we'll find that out very soon. <laughs> so, uh, so he's very diplomatic with these. Hey, you guys are amazing. Your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I wish I could come. I wish I could come and 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 interact with you to give some fruit to you. But I would get just as much fruit back because you guys are so amazing. That's kind of the opening thing. Like, oh, well, gee, the Apostle Paul thinks we're incredible. Yeah. So you, we've got the pamphlet, uh, the, the accusations that the pamphlet is answering. You talk about this as kind of like a story or a narrative and. There's the, you know, the good guys are Roman believers and the bad guys are in chapter two. So, yeah, could you talk a little more about, uh, yeah, how, how did Paul get to know Priscilla and Aquila? How is he familiar with this fight? And, and definitely, you know, who are the bad guys as well? So we go back to Acts. Again, Acts, Acts gives you the context for this fight. And so you're, I'm, a, I'm, of course, putting some pieces together here. But that's fun. You know, it's, this is like every story you have to do that uh so we get to chapter 18 so now paul is at corinth corinth is a city that is on an isthmus that connects the peloponnese where the 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 island at the bottom of greece where the spartans were to the upper part of greece where um, athens was so it was a it was an old city state and he says after these things he left athens which is where the which is where the athenians were and he went to corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, the Roman Empire, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So, so Priscilla and Aquila are Jewish. They were from Pontus, but they apparently had moved to Rome. And so now the Jews are being persecuted out of Rome and they had to leave and they go to Corinth. He came to them and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they were working for by trade, they were tent makers. So Paul, and this is another whole thing that's through his letters, like he's uh, uh, like 1 Corinthians 9 is all about this. Like, well, Paul is just a working class guy. Yeah, he's he's doesn't have he's not a real apostle because he he doesn't get money from you know donors. He's not a professional. He's not a professional. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a uh, he's an amateur, and so so he gets to know these guys because he went into business with them, mm. and so they become very intimate. So if you skip down to verse eighteen, it says Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren in Corinth put out to sea for Syria, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. 
So they become close enough that they now become traveling companions with Paul. So he, he goes to Ephesus, with, and he's got Priscilla and Aquila with him, and he leaves and leaves them there. So now in verse 24 of chapter 18 of Acts, a Jew named Apollos, and who's an Alexandrian by birth, and an eloquent man came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. And this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things of John, John the Baptist. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So here we see Priscilla and Aquila. They must have been very powerful in the Scriptures, which was typical of Jews. And so they caught on to this really fast. And so by the time Paul leaves, they now pick up the work, and they take this mighty man of the Scriptures aside, and they explain to him more accurately. And Apollos like, okay, got it, and he then becomes a mighty evangelist. Mm-hmm. So you can see Aquila and Priscilla are quite formidable. Mm-hmm. And we already saw in Romans, at the end of Romans, he's like, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in the faith. And that's why I think he's basically saying, these are my people. I'm on their side. Well, and he's giving them credibility, too. He's giving them credibility, exactly, in the, in the fight. Now, interestingly, chapter 16 of Romans starts with, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church at Centria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, that you help her in whatever manner she have need of you, for she herself has been a helper of many and of myself as well. That's probably the messenger, okay? And my guess is, this is just a guess, Priscilla and Aquila got a message to Phoebe. We got a big fight going on here. We need Paul. Paul's like, I can't go in person, but I'll write this letter. And then Phoebe takes the letter. And part of what Paul is doing here is saying, hey, this lady went to a lot of trouble for you. Help her out. Protect her. Maybe pay her way back. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's, she's working on your behalf. And then the very next thing is Priscilla and Aquila. That's very neat. Yeah, you think about Phoebe, just the journey and the importance of her role in all this. That's pretty cool. So, and some people estimate that the early church was probably 70% women. And, and one of the interesting things about Priscilla is when they meet, it's Aquila and Priscilla. And then as it goes, they become Priscilla and Aquila. That is interesting. <laughs> yeah, her name becomes the forefront and uh-huh. his is behind hers. That's right. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't ever just become Priscilla. Mm-hmm. So she obviously was incredibly impactful and they're doing it as a team. Now, Phoebe... In this case, apparently, she's just on her own, which is kind of amazing. And maybe she had some was wealthy and had some guards or something with her. But however she did it, she's credited here with doing this on her own. And it makes sense, perfect, perfect sense for the early church to be um, uh, large percentage women because in this era, women were basically property. And so Christianity comes and says... You know, male, female, slave, free, Gentile, Jew, we're all one under Christ. So everybody is elevated to the same uh, level. Not the same role, 
not, they're not all elevated uh, or not we're not all put into the same role it's not every man for himself but everybody has equal standing before God even if you're a slave you've got a different legal role you've got a contract with your master to fulfill that contract that doesn't mean oh I don't have to do my contract anymore because slavery was slavery in the, in Rome some of the slavery was like slavery based on race if they captured a, a you know a, a, a country and stuff but most of it was actually more like what we would think of as contract labor contract labor like I'll do this I'll do this thing for you for this period of time and and maybe they become permanent slaves but we think I think of it kind of like the major league baseball players you know they buy and sell players well that's not because that's because that player turned themselves into a property for their own benefit so that they could get people to bid on them on their services but it ends and then they stop being a baseball player at some point in time and, and especially in Israel, it was that way because you were only allowed to be a slave for up to a maximum of six years, and then you had to be let go. Per the law, I don't know what they were actually doing at this time. Yeah. Well, and there's a benefit to being a slave because your master will also take care of you, right? Like you have a roof overhead, you're fed, things like that. It's like employment. Mm -hmm. Like So everybody has employ, – employees have the same standing before God as employers, but that doesn't mean – that they then own the business. Mm -hmm. I mean, so different roles, same value. Well, that was a revolutionary thing in that because the Roman citizens were, you know, real people and everybody else was dirt and men were real people and the women were dirt. So now everybody's everybody has equal standing. That's a that's a major change in 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 human history. So it makes sense that slaves and and women would flock to that because now it gives them it gives them real standing in the world. Seems funny to us, but that's because we come from a Judeo-Christian heritage, and we take that for granted. Mm -hmm. But that's not been the reality of the vast, vast majority of human history. So you've got the, in terms of characters for this story, we've got the good guys, Paul, and and the believers in Rome, and uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, who, so may, who we might say are the leading believers in Rome? The leading believers, yeah, exactly. And then, so who are the who are the bad guys? Who's on the other side? Who are the people who are making the accusation that Paul uh, is is responding to? Well, we have. I'm, I'm going to make a brief, a brief nuance because um, the good guys are mainly Gentile, but Priscilla and Aquila are Jewish. So you got Paul Jewish, Priscilla Aquila Jewish rest of the church Gentile. And we know that because in, in chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren. I've often planned to come to you and been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. So the rest of the Gentiles, that means he's writing mainly to the Gentile believers here so that we would assume most of these are Gentiles. But Priscilla and Aquila are Jewish, and it makes sense. Like the Gentiles don't know the Bible. They don't have the background. This is flowing out of Judaism. So it makes sense that they would be the instructors and along with the other Jews there. 
Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.